But anyway, Mike and Lizzie got married a little bit later. They moved back to England and recently have returned about a year ago, right, to, to be co-pastors, assistant pastors at the uh, Aldergrove Vineyard with Joe and Shark Kelder, who planted this church. And by the way, I learned this week that Joe Kelder baptized Will. Is that true? In, the, in Trout Lake, what year was that, Will? 1989? I didn't even know you were born yet. 1989? Wow, that's amazing. Of course he does. Of course he remembers. <laughs> that's awesome. So, hey, what goes around comes around, right? Isn't that beautiful? So a little bit of our story and our history today, we're celebrating. So I'm just going to invite all the children to come up. We're going to have kind of a kid's time. We got our carpet, our puzzle carpet. Is that what we call it, Rose? Or carpet puzzle? I don't know what you call this. Is it carpet puzzle? Anyway, it's, it's, a, it's a great looking carpet here for our kids to sit. And Lizzie is going to give us an intergenerational sermon today. And I want to pray for you, Lizzie. Come on up. Let's welcome her. Yeah. Do you want this? Okay. So I'll take my thing out of the way here. Now, are we, is our PowerPoint working, gentlemen? Lizzie's going to need the PowerPoint. So let's get that ready. Awesome. So if you are joining us today for the first time, once on a month on a Sunday... First Sunday of the month, we have intergenerational communion and a service and a teaching because we value being disciples together. One generation will declare your works to the next. So that's what today's about. We hope you'll enjoy just this intergenerational discipleship time. So big welcome to you guys. Let me pray for you, Lizzie. Lord, you said you gave gifts to the church, apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, teachers. And Lord, I thank you that you've given uh, Mike and Lizzie as gifts to your church, to the vineyard in B.C., to Aldergrove. And today we get to share them and to enjoy uh, what you have to give uh, through them. So I, I just, as I lay my hand on Lizzie, I ask that you would bless her and empower her, speak through her. May she feel right at home as if she's just sitting in her living room, being with her family. And uh, we just uh, commit this time to you. And thank you for your blessing and favor. In Jesus' name, amen. So there's your remote there. Hey. Good morning. Is that working? Um, so yeah, as Gordy said, we're continuing this morning with the book, The Good and Beautiful Community, and becoming a church, that, a community that reflects the goodness and beauty of God. Um, the aspect of that that we'll look at today is being a serving community, being a church that serves others. And we'll, we'll look at really the heart of how and why do we serve others. And serving others really relates to how we see them. So that's kind of the focus this morning. Before we look at that, how we see others, I want to start with how does God see us? 
so that we're not serving out of our own strength, out of our own kind of willpower to serve, but actually serving from a solid, firm ground of who we are in him and how he sees us. So how do you see yourself this morning? What thoughts have you even had about yourself, even on the drive over or while you've been here? And we often base our self-worth on how others see us or feeling kind of shame from our past or our accomplishments and, um, and setting unrealistic challenges for ourselves. But this is not the truth. This is not where our value lies. Our value lies in how God sees us. So how does God see us? Are any of the children particularly wanting to write this morning? Because I have a whiteboard here. Does anyone? Grace, do you want to write? <laughs> Come on, you can. I'll tell you in a second. <laughs> okay, so I'm going to give... Okay, kids, who's... Are you a good reader? I'm going to give these to you. Okay. Not yet. I promise I'll tell you when. Um, so I've given the kids some sheets of how God... So with some words on of how God sees us, with scriptures that go with it. So adults... How many, Mike, can you set a timer for four minutes? How many of these things can we get in four minutes? So how does God see us? You can shout out some words. Perfect. Perfect. I heard perfect. Okay, kids, can you find the word perfect on there? Um, Perfect, yeah. Do you want to read out what it says? There's a scripture. Yes, so by Jesus' sacrifice, we are made perfect. Grace, can you write perfect on there? Another word, Kathleen, accepted. I don't have that one, but it's true. We are completely accepted. Ephesians 4, there you go. Awesome, nailed it. Okay, anyone else? Holy, I heard holy. Do we have holy on there? Okay. Holy. Precious. So holy and precious. How do you write precious? Um, however you want to write. <laughs> Just have a go at it. It's fine. It doesn't have to be perfect. <laughs> What else? Royal. Royal. You write royal, Grace. Royale? Yeah, royale. Royale. Any more? Keep going. Do I hear loved? Loved. Can you do this? No, I want you to do it. Oh, you can't do it up. Okay, that's fine. You can change colour. So what did we have? Royal and then loved. Is loved on there? Yeah. Awesome. So did, did everyone hear that? In John it says, having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. 
And then, as the Father has loved me, so I have loved you. Now remain in my love. So what else? He sees us as his children. Awesome. Is children on there? And Yeah. Yeah. Awesome, thank you. So definitely we're his children. <laughs> Any more? How are we doing for time, mate? We've got 30 seconds. What is Forgiven. Can you write forgiven, Grace? Any more? Peculiar. Peculiar. <laughs> Unique? <laughs> okay. I'm not sure if we can spell peculiar. <laughs> it's time. Okay. So there are lots, lots more. Oh, that's okay. That's okay. Thank you for reading those. And so how does this fit in with us being a serving com community? Well, when we know we are all these things, we are perfect, we are holy, we are precious, we are royal, we are loved, we are children, we are forgiven. When we are secure and confident in all these things, it shifts our focus away from ourselves and onto others. In the kingdom of God, we discover that we are loved unconditionally. And understanding this turns us from our own needs to the needs of others. Yes. I'm just about to. So I'm going to get the kids going on an activity now. Grace is going to set it all up. Um, but it's a secret, guys. Don't tell the adults what we're doing, okay? Because it's going to come in a bit later. <laughs> okay, Grace, you all right setting that up? Okay. Um, so now that we know how God sees us, how does this relate to being a serving community? Knowing how God sees us gives us a kingdom perspective on the work of the church. In the book, James Bryan Smith talks about the fact that there tends to be two ways in which people view the work of the church. And they can kind of come at it. Do I point back there? Did it? Oh, maybe it switched off. Ah. Okay, so there's two ways that we can look at the work of the church and what we do as a church. Um, and there's kind of the worldly view and the kingdom view. So the worldly perspective is the kind of the false narrative, which is that our needs matter more than others. Our needs matter most. And this can relate to both us as individuals and us as a community, that our needs matter the most. Um, which is really the worldly perspective, isn't it? Be number one, do your best, 
put yourself forward kind of way of thinking, but then Jesus' way of thinking is the true narrative for our lives, which is that others' needs matter most. And um, in terms of the worldly perspective, perspective, we ask those questions, are we prospering? Are we successful? How can we do better? Do we look good? But in the true narrative, in others' needs matter most, the question is, are we serving? Are we a serving community? And um, I was sharing with a friend, Grace has recently started ballet, and I was chatting with this, a new friend, a lady, and I was asking her about these things, and I said, have you ever been in a situation where, where there's been that shift of being a community that focuses on, the, on, the perp- on serving others to kind of ourselves? And she was like, oh, that reminds me of a time they were part of a church plant in Ontario somewhere, I think. And she said, at the beginning, we were so outward focused. We were so about making people feel welcome and inviting them in. And then within kind of five years, it got to the point where it was much more like you'd arrive at church and then you'd just be looking for your friends and not even be thinking about, okay, how can I welcome people in? So there's that shift of perspective of actually, oh, I want to meet with my friends today and that's what matters most, to actually shifting it to what matters most to others and can I serve others and make them feel welcome? And in the book, there's a story um, that highlights this about that kind of competitive... It's, he's at a church committee, and they're kind of talking about the next building that they're going to build, the building project. And someone looks at the architect and says, I want to know, how can we build a church that will compete with the church down the road? <laughs> I was like, oh, man, sometimes we can get that, such that shift of, okay, what matters most is that we're successful and we've got the most people. And the architect just kind of looks at him and goes, well... We're not in competition with the church down the road. Their success is our success. And so that sense of shifting to our community serving others. And I'm sure you can all think of your own examples of when you've seen that happen, that shift to from being outward focused to kind of a bit more inwards focused. And it can be so, so subtle. Do you not have one? Do you want the one in the middle? Yeah. Um, so when we spend too much time asking questions like how can we grow how can we attract people to us Um, these questions aren't wrong it's okay to ask those questions but when that becomes our main focus that's where the problem lies and the but rather our focus be how can we serve others how can we bless the community that's around us and um, how can we reach people and share Jesus with them? That's the focus. And then growth kind of comes out of that. Um, again, in the book, he gives a fantastic example of this. He was doing a student ministry. And he had one church come to him and say, oh, we have all this money. We want to invest in your ministry. How can we do that? And then so they said, oh, we're going to give you all this money to do that. And then but once you've got them, can you just do a Sunday morning student service kind of thing or Sunday school type thing? And so he does that. And then partway down the line, they say to him, well, why aren't your students then staying for the service and coming into the service? And he's like, oh, I don't know. Well, I just leave to go to my own church. And he says, so he goes and asks the students, why are you not, why are you not staying at the service then? And they're like, well, we, we tried a couple of times, but no one really spoke to us and like, we didn't feel very welcome there. And so in the end, it, like, they, pulled off the, they pulled back their money because 
And they were like, well, you're not bringing students to our church. And, um, and, so, and so they pulled back the money. But then, a while later, another church comes to him and said, we'd love to have students. How can we, how can we bless students? And he was like, well, students um, love food. <laughs> Feed them. And they're, and they're missing their families. Give them hugs when they arrive. And that's what they did. They didn't have any money to offer. But they actually just invited the students in and blessed them and did a huge meal after the service and hugged them as they came in. And a whole bunch of his students then stayed there. And, and he was just using that story to highlight the difference of one of the churches, their heart was just, how can we grow? How can we have students in our service so that we kind of we can tick that box and, and we've achieved, we've got students in our service? And the other one was just like, how can we bless students? How can we share Jesus' love with them? So he uses that example. And um, so, yeah, this story really highlights where the value of our church lies. The value of the church is not in its longevity. How can, we, how can we survive? How can we succeed? It's not in that. It's not in its longevity, but in its love. How can we love others? How can we reveal Jesus' love to them? And the success of, it, of the church is not in its size, but in, but in its serving, in its service. Ultimately, our goal is to love others as Jesus loved them. Our focus is not on growth, but growth can be a byproduct of that when our focus is on, on Jesus, healthy things grow. And Jesus is our model for servant-heartedness. He was the ultimate servant, even to death on the cross. Luke twenty two twenty seven says, But I am among you as one who serves. John fifteen thirteen says, Greater love has no one than this, to lay down one's life for one's friends. Jesus loved us so much that he laid down his life for us. And then he calls us to treat others with that same attitude of, I'm willing to lay down my life for you. He said in John, just before this verse, he says, love each other as I have loved you. So how do we do this shift from um, changing from the false narrative of, of, of our needs matter most, shifting to the true narrative of others' needs matter most. Um, being a community focused to benefit others. And we know, I know Joanna shared in the kind of the first bit of when you started this series, we can't change this by sheer willpower. But this kind of focus starts with how we see people. When we see them in a certain way, it affects our attitude and behavior towards them. So I would love the kids. Is anyone ready to show what you've been working on? There's some amazing creativity going, no. <laughs> okay, can you just, can one person just hold up their picture? Judah's, yours looks amazing. Would you hold it up and show? And Grace, come, can you just show everyone what you've been working on? You can keep working on afterwards, I promise. And Judah, can you show yours? Awesome. Amazing. So they've been working on treasure boxes. And so the key to this is, is treasuring people. If we see others as treasure, that will affect how we act towards them. And some of you may well know this in your marriages. When you see your other half as treasure, 
it will affect how you behave towards them. If you're just, or with your kids, if you're seeing them as kind of just really irritating you that day, it's much harder to, to act towards them in a loving way. But when you're just like, oh God, this person is such a gift to me, then you, tr you respond in a sense of treasuring them. So can you name some of the things or some of the people that you treasure? Gordy, yay! <laughs> Gordy as well. <laughs> Anyone else? Who or what do you treasure? Your small group. Awesome. Anything else? Anyone else? Nice dinners. Students. Oh, students. <laughs> and nice dinners. <laughs> <laughs> Students. Church family. Mm -hmm. Church family. Children. And parents. Yeah. So, how do you treat someone or something that you treasure? Listen to them. Yeah. Respect them. Yeah. Help them. Give time to them. Yeah. Share with them. Yeah. Yeah. Are you gonna? There you go. There's something up in Grace's class that says, "Take time to help others." So God, so we looked this morning at this, God treasures us, and in turn he calls us to treasure others. Seeing the beauty and worth in them increases our desire to serve them. And Paul talks about this in Philippians. He says, do not act out of selfish ambition or conceit, but with humility, think of others as being better than yourselves. Do not be concerned about your own interests, but also be concerned about the interests of others. So we value others above ourselves, and we see them as treasured. Not because of kind of this low self-esteem. In the book, he talks about someone being like, well, that's just wrong to think of others above yourselves. That's low self-esteem. It's like, no, that, it's not low self-esteem, but humility. We know that we are treasured by God, but in turn we look at others and we treasure them. Is that? Oh, no. <laughs> Not that one. Okay. Um, so I read out of the ISV that, that scripture because the NIV skips one of the words in the Greek that I felt was actually really important, which is kia, which is the word also. He said, but also be concerned about the... Um, interests of others. So Paul knows that we are going to be concerned about our own interests. And then he's like, but also be concerned about the interests of others. Because it's important that we take care of ourselves without any guilt. We are valued in the kingdom of God. And um, it's from that place of value that we serve others and we're able to give out of not our own strength, but out of knowing who we are in him. Um, and it's that case of striking a balance that he quotes in the book. He says, my own family 
got my leftovers because I was so spent on serving others. So it is striking that balance of knowing when is time to give to myself and to my family and then when is it time to give to others out of that place of security in the Father. We get our needs met in the Father and spending time in his presence and knowing we can't do this in our own strength. Did you want to show your treasure? So we treasure others. We extend grace to ourselves and in turn extend grace to others. Being able to value others comes from a place of knowing who we are and that we are valued. Which is why we started this morning by looking at who we are in him. Seeing them as treasure that God then is able to move in us and allow us to act towards them as treasure. In the bulletin, there was that, this chapter, the end of this chapter with the soul training in there. And he kind of, he goes through and gives some great ideas of how we can treat others as treasured, how we can act towards them. And actually, Gordy even highlighted this bit. The key is to put on the mind of Christ and to see others as he sees them. Or oh, someone else did. Oh. Thank you, whoever it was. The key is to put on the mind of Christ and to see others as he sees them. Treasure. So it always comes back to we know we are treasured and from that place of being treasured, we treasure others. Amen. Wow. Well, I've been in some of the finest seminaries in the world, and you won't hear anything more profound than what you've just heard. Just uh, beautiful, beautiful teaching, the heart of God, the heart of what he is all about. Servant God, who Paul in, in that scripture said, uh, who being in the form of God did not consider equality with God something to be grasped, but emptied himself, took on the form of a servant. And in John 13 it says, And Jesus, knowing the Father had given everything into his hands, that he had come from God and was returning to God, what did he do? He got up from the table, got a basin of water, wrapped himself with a towel, and began to wash the disciples' feet. Because they stunk and they were dirty. And somebody had to do it. So God did it. But you know, the, the dirty job that Jesus did washing their feet is nothing compared to the dirty job he had to do to wash you and me, to cleanse us, and to make us holy and perfect, which is what the scriptures say we are. Amazing. So we're going to prepare for communion. And I'm not sure how to do this. Should we just... Move the table over here. Would that be good, Rick? Why don't we do that? I think it's on wheels anyway. We thought ahead. Yeah. Very cool. And um, thanks, guys. That's great. So here's what we're going to do. We're going to ask that the children uh, accompany their parents.
to uh, communion today. We, we open up the communion table to everyone, just simply because uh, we leave that at the discretion of parents, that children are able to understand to the degree that you've explained it to them and, sh and, and shared with them. The Bible says that Jesus, um, after he'd finished supper, it says he took bread and he broke it. And there's kind of a, a recollection there of the feeding of the 5,000 and the feeding of the 4,000. Um, because it says that he took... Uh, the, the loaves and the fishes. Remember of the little boy that sacrificed his lunch? Do you think he got a good deal by giving up his lunch? Huh? Was that a good deal? And it says they brought it to Jesus. And I love the first thing that Jesus did. It says he took it and he gave thanks. And it's just so counter the culture for what he did. Usually when we have little pittance, and that's what sometimes we feel like in, with our resources and our, our numbers and our money and our budget and our income. And, and we look at the needs in, a, in one of the costliest cities in the world to live in, to be a church in. And we go, how the heck? That's the Christian word. How the heck? Are we supposed to do this? And it says that Jesus took that little loaf and fish. And it says he gave thanks. And the first counter the culture thing to do is to not look at what we don't have. But to give thanks for what we have. And I thank God for what he's given me. I thank God for the gifts just like Lizzie shared this morning. I often... I often do that. Almost every morning I thank God for the gifts that he's given me. In my family, in you as my church family, you're a treasure to me. So he treasured what the father had provided through that little boy. He I'm sure he treasured that little boy's heart who gave up his tuna sandwich. Do they have tuna in the Sea of Galilee? I'm not sure. but And he gave thanks but then it says he broke it and to me the the breaking is is that transition that Lizzie talked about where we move from it's all about me to it's about others and I've often prayed Lord let me be like that loaves, loaf and fish let me be broken and given. I offer myself to be broken and given. Jesus did that for us. That loaf and fish was a picture of what he did for us on the cross. He was offered, broken, and given to the world. And then he calls us to follow him in that. But not in a way where, like Lizzie said, at cost to those closest to us, not at cost to those who we we are with all the time because he is uh, a God of abundance and there's always more where that came from. 
And so we orient ourselves this way, not from a God who's a taker, but from a God who's a giver. He's a giver. And he gives and he gives and he gives again. And he's our source and he's our provision. So as we come today, let's receive his provision. If you need forgiveness today, if you need him to remind you of how much he treasures you, receive that through the bread and through the cup. Some of you need forgiveness. Uh, Isn't it interesting that the Bible never says that we're supposed to forgive ourselves? You ever notice that? Never says that. You know why? Because the Bible is a good psychology book. It knows you can't forgive yourself. You need somebody else to. And that's why Jesus said, pronounce forgiveness to one another in my name. So as you receive today, I want to declare you're forgiven. You're forgiven of all of your sins, past, present, future, as you come to this table. That's his provision for you. So receive it in Jesus' name. And then as you receive that provision, receive his life in you, which is self-giving love. The Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve, and to give his life as a ransom for, for many. That's the leader we fall. That's our leader. The world rejected that kind of leader. They wanted somebody more pompous and triumphal and could kick the Romans' butt. But the leader that God gave us was a servant of all. That's the one we follow today. So let's be mindful of that. So the Lord Jesus, the same night he was betrayed, he took bread, he broke it, and said, take, eat, this is my body which is broken for you. And in the same manner, he took the cup after supper, and he lifted the cup with thanksgiving and said, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this in remembrance of me. So Mike's going to lead us in some more worship as we come to the communion table today. And I'm going to kind of officially, as far as the, the formal part of the service, just open it up for you to come, receive. And then just, just be sensitive and gentle and, and aware of the, uh, the, 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 uh, those that are needing prayer. And if you need prayer, you can stay up here for prayer or just go back to your seat and have communion and pray with a friend. But let's just kind of transition into that coffee time uh, in just a few minutes.